0: Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, jb 3 and we are entering into another episode around social work and social work perspectives from women. And today's episode is all about continuing education. If you recall toward the very beginning of the Equity Matters Podcast life, I recorded an episode called I'm Still Learning. And part of that was really inspired by my own continuing education journey. But what we're going to be talking about today is much more formalized. And when we talk about continuing education, it's typically around certain courses or seminars, workshops, webinars, whatever the learning device may be, that is geared towards ensuring social work professionals are practicing in a way that is competent and responsive to the current environment. And so today we're going to hear from Gina tremonti Gimble who is a former co-worker, a colleague, and a, a confidant in the work, who is also the director of continuing education at the Michigan State University School of Social Work. And so I am excited to introduce you all to Gina Tremonti-Gimbel. Gina?
1: Sure. Hi, James. Thanks for the introduction, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. Um, So I am born and raised here in Michigan. I am from the Burbs. And when I say the Burbs, I mean the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. And my educational background um, stayed here in Michigan. I went and got my undergraduate degree from Michigan State University in the College of Human Ecology at the time, which I believe it's no longer in existence. But the program uh, was a Bachelor in Science in Family Community Services. I then went on uh, right after that, really, I think I graduated undergrad on a Friday and on a Monday started grad school in the, in the school of social work um, in the master's program. And it's been about 20, almost going on 20 years now um, since I graduated with my MSW and have had a lot of experience, um, a lot of experiences that have changed the way I view social work now, as opposed to when I did... When I first started. So, um, hoping to talk about some of those experiences today and why it's important to continue learning as we move forward and grow in our professional careers, particularly around
0: equity. Definitely, definitely. So, I did mention that you are the director of continuing education. For people who are not in social work, could you kind of describe what continuing ed is?
1: Yeah, so I think of it as a kind of a two prong thing so the the least exciting thing about continuing it, and for me is that it acts as sort of a regulatory requirement for licensing for social workers within the state of Michigan. So you'll, um, for those of you who aren't social workers or for those who have any professional license there's some sort of mandated or required continuing education that folks need to complete in order to maintain their licensure and that holds true for the state of Michigan um, so there are continuing education requirements um, to maintain your licensure. I think the the other aspect of continuing education and the one that excites me the most is around that continuous learning, um, and the opportunities for continuous learning as we grow in our professional careers, as we grow in the way we view the world, as we grow in the types of roles we have um, with within our social work practice. And so um, that's where I really see opportunity. And that's particularly around learning about equity and race um, and power. And that's That's the space that i'm the most interested in outside of sort of the regulatory requirements uh, around continuing
0: education nice thinking broadly i mean not looking at any data or anything but what are some of the most well-attended subjects that you get
1: you know, it's funny that you say that because, and I talked about the the least exciting thing about continuing education is the regulatory requirement. And I will tell you that the most popular subjects are the ones that are required for social workers. And that's any courses around ethics and pain management are things that are required. Um, you have to have a certain amount of hours within the profession to, to um, to maintain your licensure, and so those are the most well-attended subjects. And I think this gets into kind of the political process, right? Of um, who gets to decide what those uh, mandated uh, continuing education requirements are, and how does what's the process where that happens, and who's deciding that pain is more important than than anything else. Um, I would love to see some type of equity requirement. Um, I was really excited to see the movements by the um, State of Michigan licensing, um, licensing and Regulatory Affairs Bureau in um, particularly the recommendations from the COVID-19 uh, Health Disparities Task Force to include some implicit bias training as a requirement for, for health professionals and social workers fall
0: into that. I don't think I knew that social workers fell into that, but that's really exciting.
1: Yeah, we do. I I made sure we we looked in, into that. So we're part of the a health profession. So we will at some point um, once the social work board um, it finalizes whatever that requirement is going to be. So I you know I say that around who gets to decide and what is kind of the 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 lobbying for that and how do we how do we determine what's important for us as we move forward as in, as in a profession? Who's determining what education and continuous education is important for us? And I think those are questions we need to be asking.
0: Cool, you and, open up the whole can of worms right there. I
1: know, <laughs> right? <laughs> who's, where, where? where's this power coming from, right? And, and who's deciding that? And I, you know, for me, I didn't end up in continuing education because I'm super excited about right, continuing education and licensing requirements. That's not how I got here <laughs> to where I am. And so maybe to, to talk a little bit about some of that experience. Um, so when I was in undergrad, I worked as an in-home aide for um, persons and peop- people and families with disabilities, with developmental disabilities. And that's really where I um, began my work and social work was in the disability field, right? the disability advocacy field. And that led me to my master's program. So it's in there, I, I don't know if you've heard the term which came out of the disability community is the not about us without us. That's kind of a rallying cry of the disability community.
0: Yeah, I use that often.
1: Yeah, 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 it's a great, it's a great line. I worked for eight years as civil servant at the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services um, in a healthcare program for children and youth with special healthcare needs. And it was in this um, role Outside of my formal education, I was finished at a master's degree, but it was in this role where I really learned that systems were not designed for the people that are using them and that systems are designed for institutions and, and those that hold power. Um, and that is a revelation that I believe should have been taught in school, in my education, my formal education. And so So after that, my work shifted around um, doing equity and racial equity work um, in the public health world. And that's where you and I met. And I was often the only social worker in that space. And it was in this time where I really began to question um, and even kind of get angry about it, but why wasn't any of this part of my curriculum? And that's what led me to my role in continuing education and how can we move some of this some of these conversations around power forward? How do we move conversations around racial equity forward? Um, and, And For me, that all happened outside of my school program.
0: I do plan on having an episode in the near future talking about unlearning, right? Because there's so many things that we capture along the way. And I don't know if part of it is really around like accreditation what we're supposed to say and what we're supposed to know and then it's also we're learning to to be licensed professionals and there's just so many things that once you get in the field you're just like this ain't right <laughs> like why are we doing this oh,
1: oh oh, terribly so and I think even the history around the social work profession and where oppression lies within that and I always start off a lot of whenever I'm um, presenting any sort of continuing education um, around the subject of equity and using an equity framework, I like to, um, I like to always say, you know, one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I don't want my practice to be oppressive, right? This is why I'm on the path that I'm at. And so I want other folks to have the opportunity to, to go along on that path as well. I want other folks to think about and really be critical about where in my practice am I oppressive? And you know, I've had this conversation with with friends and in, in with social work in particular. We're really seen as a, a helping profession, and oftentimes when we're confronted with the fact that we may not and we may not be helping, um, we may actually be on the side of the oppressor, that is. there's a lot of fragility in that, right? There's a lot of, what are you talking about? I'm so closely identified with being a helper that when when I'm presented with the information that that in fact is not happening, there is, um, it's a difficult pill for folks to swallow. Um, And how do we have that conversation and get curious about uh, the work that we're doing um, in a way where we're, we're safe to explore those feelings. And we have um, a community where we can have conversations about what that means and and how we work to move forward.
0: So you're you're jumping into something I really want to talk about, but I do want to ask one more question of you. And that being, you know, how do you go about attracting professionals to attend? Because I know for myself, when I was in... When I was wrapping up grad school, I knew I was gonna be a macro social worker. There was never a doubt in my mind. I also knew that I would probably never be licensed. Mm. So, How do you go about um, attracting professionals, clinicians, or just social workers who may not be licensed?
1: That's so funny you say that because I myself am not licensed. (laughs) I myself am a macro uh, practitioner and I have always gone through the you know, the, the thought process of um, licensure doesn't fit for me and what I do. Um, and you no, know, ironically, when I was going through that process and making decisions around licensure, I was looking at what type of continuing education was and what was required of me. And I thought, well, this has nothing to do with, with anything that I work on or, or that, that interests me in my professional career. So I am in a role now where I I can change that, right? I am in a role where I hold some sort of, you know, positional authority and power where I am able to come up with some content and start catering some content to this kind of macro focused uh, social work practitioner. Because for me, that was something that was missing. Um, And we have been working to do that um, for the last almost year now to, to, get our courses on board get our courses ready for folks who may not have been you know participating otherwise
0: yeah i still believe licensing is a racket but i'll say that before. oh
1: we've had this conversation james <laughs> you know i agree the whole the, the whole the whole way and i think um you know we hold this I feel like we hold this over folks head of you need to get your continuing education credit so you have to come to to this course and in order to do that you need to pay for it you know um and and to be clear you know the school that i work for makes money off of you know not a ton of money but uh it's a, a stream of revenue comes in from continuing education and i've really been Um, Trying to refocus our priorities within continuing education around not only having this capitalist priority of bringing in money and making revenue, but how does this fit into the overall social justice and change mission within the school as well. So how do we move from this capitalist we have to make money to we, we have to do some continuous learning and folks have to be prepared. To practice social work with the with the com, with their communities and populations that they're that they're working with, so I think for me it's it's like an ethical consideration, right? It's it's an ethical thing. Are we here to make money, or are we here to um, to forward and advance our mission on social justice and positive change? And so there's some work that goes into it, you know. And I think within um, the university, I'm learning, you know, this is, I'm new to academia, so I've been learning a lot. (laughs) Um, There's often um, this sentiment, and I think within any large bureaucratic organization, which a university is, there's the sentiment of, but this is how things have always been done, which, you know, I know a lot of people hate that. I hate that. (laughs) I hate, I hate that as an excuse or a reason for why we do anything, because most of the time people can't even tell you, you know why why it started that way in the first place is just the way it's always been done, and so it's really important to me in my position to start thinking critically about how we shift our thinking around continuous learning. How do we um, how do we create a culture within the university and within our school where continuing education is not only part of you know, a regulatory requirement, but it's embedded within the school. So folks who are students are, are involved in continuing education, right? I mean, that's been one of the things that I have really been pushing for is how do we get students involved in continuing education and create this culture of continuous learning um, and the importance of continuous learning for, for when folks have graduated as well.
0: So let's let's segue, right? Because it sounds like we're talking, we're talking about the solution and we're talking about kind of what do we do now, knowing what we do. And I'd be curious as to, you know, what's your role or what role do you play in training social work professionals to really to pursue social justice, to have an equity lens? Like I know social justice is even called out in our in the NASW. It's something that we should be striving for. So what role do you play in facilitating that?
1: So I'll tell you what, one of the things I have uh, ha- have been doing is trying to, um, not trying to, it, it, it really does fit, is that social justice and um, uh, using an equity lens is an ethical issue within our profession. And so if we're requiring folks to have courses and continuing education um, credit hours on ethics, it should be and could be around social justice and using an equity lens. So it's a little bit of here's the hand we've been dealt and how do, how do we get our content in in a way that um, folks will come uh, and, and listen to us and, and, and learn. Um, so that's been one of the, the roles that I've taken is just figuring out um, within the framework and within the system and institution that we're in, how do we, move this forward and get, um, get the content and get courses and get conversation and have dialogue out into the public on these topics. Um, one, of, one of the things that I have really pushed for um, in, in the way that we present continuing education, right? Oftentimes you think of continuing education, you think of a lecture or a lectureship, or someone comes in, on an author, you know, an authority figure or a um, a, a doctor and a, su- and a expert on a subject, and provides a lecture on it. And I've really been trying to to bring in the sense of continuing education can also include dialogue. Continuing education can also include kind of this creation of a community where folks can talk and learn from one another, um, and so setting up. Uh, setting up courses and and learning opportunities that include that have been really important because I think that's the way folks learn um, and and creating spaces in which folks can learn in that way has been important and like I said I'm also you know really wanting to create a culture within within the school of students being involved in in this and, and learning about it and and not only students but faculty as well there's a lot of learning that that needs to happen by myself and other faculty as well and how do we how do we lean on one another and create a community where we can do this uplift together?
0: And there's definitely a sense of urgency right so so why now?
1: Yeah I think there is a sense of urgency um, for me <laughs> when I hear when I hear that question why now, I'm like, because nobody's been doing it <laughs> and we have to do it. Um, it's a little bit maddening, right? To to feel like this is something that has been neglected. And I don't say that it hasn't been happening within the school. There are plenty of um, plenty of faculty within the school who have been doing a lot of research and um, in, in work within communities around equity. Um, but when it comes to curriculum development and um, continuing education, I felt like there was a little bit, uh, a lack of, of urgency in it. But I think some of that urgency comes directly from our students. I mean, folks, this is what people want. This is the content that, that folks want. And it's kind of a, uh, you, you gotta do it or folks are gonna stop coming to you. <laughs> you know, you gotta meet the demand.
0: We know one of the things that's necessary for any system change effort is really this idea of buy-in and stakeholder engagement. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious as to how are you able to convince the administration at the university to really take this approach, like knowing that you bring a racial equity lens to the work. Mm -hmm. And this is very different from research. This is, I want to train current professionals and practitioners out there that, you need an equity lens to do this work well,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so how are you able to engage the administration to to go with that?
1: I haven't to be to be honest. I think one of the reasons I was brought on was because um, of my background around um, racial equity. So I think from the beginning, this was a um, this wasn't something that I had to set up as buy-in for in this particular in this particular role within continuing education um, for me the buy-in comes from folks who are attending our courses right <laughs> because if folks stop coming if folks are not wanting to attend if, we, you know, you know, James, we can't have this conversation without talking about the social work profession and, and who makes up the social work profession, right? And I don't have the, the exact uh, figure at the top of my head, but it's something like, is it something like 80 some percent white women? I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know it off the top of my head, but.
0: I think the last presentation I did with you all, I had it written down, but yeah, it's yeah.
1: Yeah, it's up, right, so so it's up there. So we can't have this conversation without stating the facts of who makes up the social work profession in a large majority. And, and that's not to kind of um, dismiss or erase social workers who identify as black or people of, of color, um, but it is it has to be stated that a large portion of the social work profession are white women. And it's taking Right, these having these conversations, and 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 I think there has always been hesitancy um, from white folks around engaging in conversations about race. It's not something um, we're taught; it is something um, we have actively avoided. And so, so I think the buy-in comes <laughs> from ensuring that people are brave enough and have the courage and see that this is important for the work that they're doing to have these conversations and to take a critical look at the work they've done in the past and the work that they can do in the future in their profession, right? So I, I think it's it's hard for us and we can't have the conversation without really acknowledging that. I mean, let's acknowledge it's kind of this white saviorism that, that has, uh, uh, kind of plagued the profession of, of social work for forever, right, since, since the beginning. So um, it's, it's, it's tough to have those conversations without acknowledging that. And, and then also when we talk about buy-in, the buy-in is really making sure that um, we provide spaces where folks um, are able to come and get uncomfortable. Essentially, right. I'm not trying to make people comfortable, but I need to create a, sp- a space where folks can come and get uncomfortable and have real conversations around their practice and how um, oppression exists within the the social work profession, um, and the tools in which we can learn um, to unlearn some of those uh, some of those practices we've had in the past.
0: I love the way you flip that. You know, it's less on administration, it's more on the willingness of the participant, right? To so really just sit and hear and understand and listen and apply and change and transform. Like it's it's almost a cycle to it.
1: It is. And I mean, you know f- that kind of capitalist notion of well, we're not, are we a continuing education program if people don't buy courses, right? <laughs> well, yes we are. And um you know, how do we, how do we create a space where, where we can, where we can push folks to have these conversations because, um, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's not happening within, I think it's happening more often now in the classroom, but I can say when I went through a social work program, some 20 years ago, or, um, almost, almost there, but I I didn't have these conversations at all. This, we didn't talk about power. We didn't talk about um, systemic oppression. So we need an opportunity to be able to do that. And we need to be able to do it with um, our, fellow, our fellow social workers and the, the folks we work with every day around um, systemic oppression and racial equity.
0: So one of the ways that you've done that now is I know that you recently launched a book club. You wanna tell us a little bit more about that?
1: yeah i'll tell you about the book club so uh, we launched this i mean one of one one of the my priorities coming into um this role and i and i guess it's you know to say that i think it's maybe about 10 months i started the very begin of the very beginning of the pandemic (laughs) so we've gone i've started remotely um but one of my priorities has been um to create um A category and course and do some course development around advocacy, equity, and social justice specific, because I felt like that that was a space that was that was missing and that we could do a lot of a lot of really great work on. And um, the idea of the book club, it's the anti-racism and social anti-racism and social work book club, or book study, we're calling it, um, is an opportunity. And, you know, I laugh because there has been a lot of um, dialogue and some criticism around a lot of um, reading in, in in books that were kind of flying off the shelves over the summer, during um, all of the the movements that were um, taking place and the protests that were taking place over the summer with um, Black Lives Matters and other organizations and there has been some criticism, right? And I've heard it a number of times, like you're not anti-racist because you read a book. And I completely agree with that, (laughs) you're not. Um, And we're reading, you know, folks are reading these texts and I wanted to create a space where um, we could have dialogue around it, right? And how do we apply it to um, the work that we do within social work? So how do we take these um, anti-racist texts and apply it to our daily work. And that's really what this anti-racism social work book study is about. It's providing space for folks to talk about the text with other folks and providing an opportunity to come up with some some steps and and actions, some very actionable ways that that what they've learned from from what they've read into the, their work in their practice and so that's really what the the book studies are about and it was a way um, we really tied it in with ethics and social work ethics w- uh, uh, within the nasw code code of ethics so it's a way for folks to get their ethics credits and talk about anti-racism which you know it's it's a win-win for folks in my opinion
0: so i have to ask you the the question of all questions right so What is your vision for the future of our profession and how do we get there
1: Hmm. you know that's that's a big question and i don't know if i have you know i maybe i'm not a big thinker (laughs) from that point of view and i've always said this around uh like the thought particularly i've been in a number of positions where I've had the opportunity to interview folks for for different roles in different positions. And oftentimes when we have a social worker or a human service professional, um, maybe young people um, coming out of coming out of school, they always talk about wanting to save the world, right? (laughs) Have you heard, I'm sure you're familiar with this, right? Right. So a young, uh, new social work professional comes in and says, well, I I wanna save the world. And and to that, I say, um, save it from what? (laughs) Let's be clear (laughs) about what we're talking about and who is determining what the world is gonna look like once it's saved? Is it you, right? (laughs) So I... I take kind of a, 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 a less macro view, I guess you would say, when it comes to questions like this, because I have always been in um, of the thought that I should be using my power where I currently sit, right? So so as opposed to changing the world, <laughs> what can I do where I'm currently situated? What power do I currently hold? To make it make change, right? It makes impactful and sustainable change. So my view has always been a little bit um, uh, less broad <laughs> when it comes when it comes to that. And I guess i I'm think, when I think about your question of where do you, what's the future of the profession? Um, I think about well, what future um, like what what can we achieve? I just take a slightly less, um, broad approach to that because I don't, James, I don't know. (laughs) Well, who am I to say what the profession, what the future of the profession is? You know, I think I can have a small part in how we all move forward, but, um, I, I don't consider myself to be the person to, to have that vision or the person that needs to have that vision, particularly where as a profession, you know, um, the kind of systemic uh, oppression that has been perpetuated onto marginalized communities through social work. Um, I'm particularly thinking about the, the field of child welfare and it feels like we're kind of churn out, you know, uh, workers uh, and folks to work within child welfare when um, rightly so there is movement to really consider um reform or even abolishment into the system into that child welfare system and so when i think of the future of social work i mean i would love us to not exist anymore right (laughs) i mean i would like to see a world where our 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 work is really around advocacy um so i guess i do have vision (laughs) i don't know if that vision leads to um I think it leads to a lot of reform with within the profession is, is the way to put that.
0: I hear that. And we need it, right? It's, it's, yeah. We've spent so much time learning all the wrong things.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> really have. And not that it's bad, like this isn't to, to shame folks or make folks feel bad about, you know, I, I still love being a social worker and um, I think there's so much, so much opportunity um, within the profession, I just think we really need to take a critical look at what, 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 where we're going and what we've done in the past in order to have, um, conversations around what, what the future holds. I mean, we had a, I was having a conversation today with a student around, um, the term, you know, decolonization and decolonizing social work and what that means. And if, that term, right, decolonizing social work is even um, applicable to our profession, right? Are we part of it, right? We, right? Are we part of the colonization? And so how, how do we go about reconciling that? I don't know. Those are big, those are really big questions. And they're really big questions that, um, you know, for me, as someone who considers herself a facilitator, and I love to have dialogue, and I love working with communities, that's something I want to continue to have conversations on. I don't have the answer, but let's create space so we can continue to have those conversations. What does the future of our profession look like? Do we continue to? Is it what kind type of reform do we need? And you know, where do we where do we talk about abolishment of of systems and? Um,
0: decolonization. Any parting words? So I, you know, I'm gonna ask, of course, how do we keep up with you, but is there anything that you wanna leave the listeners with? I mean, there are a lot of social workers who listen to the podcast. There's also, you know, there's other professionals as well, but what is something that you would like to leave as a takeaway?
1: Um, I think as a takeaway, I want folks to be able to have critical conversations, and those critical conversations are part of our continuous learning. Um, and to not be afraid of having those conversations. And I don't know if folks who are are, are listeners of your podcasts fall fall into that group, but I, I do think how do we um, how do we get folks on board um, to have those those conversations around. Um, our practice and how do we make sure our practice is not contributing to systemic oppression. I think that's that's the real the real thing that I like to, to take away and that I like folks who um, come to any of our, our, my continuing education, you know, uh, courses to really think critically of how do we not contribute to systemic oppression.
0: I think I wrote or mentioned in maybe one of my last presentations my charge to the listeners were to, to not be agents of oppression.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do it.
0: Don't do it. That's the number. Don't
1: do it. I don't want it. We want none of that. Keep it. Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it. But, you know, it's so, you know, this is the thing, James. It's so ingrained in, in our patterns that we've learned. Um, it's ingrained in our educational system. It's ingrained in our curriculum. Um, and so unlearning those things takes time. And you got to be open to, you got to be open to, to doing that and to doing the work and to being uncomfortable. Um, and I don't see discomfort as a bad thing. And uh, I think that's where we grow and we, we make change in, in discomfort. And I just think that we have to get a better understanding of, of power and where power lies. And I don't think um, a lot of folks recognize the power in which they hold in their, in their uh, profession or in their role with their social work role. And I'd like people to get kind of acquainted with that.
0: I love it. So Gina, how do people keep up with you if they want to attend a book club, if it's time for them to take a continuing education course? What's the be- best way to stay in touch?
1: Um, for folks to follow up and learn more about courses that we may have to offer, um, you can go to socialwork.msu.edu CE. CE stands for Continuing Education. And there we have um, an online course catalog where you can look at the courses we have and register for any, for any courses. People can find me on um, LinkedIn, and they can find the Continuing Education Program on Facebook and LinkedIn as well.
0: Well, Gina, definitely appreciate the time. Um, Always good to connect. Always good to have these critical conversations because I feel there are so few social workers out there who are willing to admit, you know, their own role in perpetuating harm and violence. But being able to be critical of ourselves and say, hey, we can do better and we will. So I appreciate your fellowship and look forward to the next time we connect.
1: Thank you, James. I, I think we, uh, we can always work towards being better, right? Definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: i first like to thank Gina for joining me on the podcast. I do want to share just a little behind the scenes. She really didn't want to do it initially, um, but being persuasive and also seeing the opportunity of how this ties into equity on a broader conversation, I'm appreciative for you hopping on as far as the rest of the month. So we've got one more week and one more episode next week. We're going to hear from Algeria Wilson, who is the director of public policy at the NASW Michigan chapter. And she's going to bring her insights from what's going on with social work from a policy perspective, in addition to some of the things that she's experienced as a black woman in that role. So really great conversation, looking forward to sharing it with you all. A few announcements before we wrap up. Please follow us on social media. That's at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram and at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. We are preparing for a few few big occasions. Um, We are very close to a thousand followers. And when we get to a thousand followers, I've got something really special to announce. So if we're not there yet, I would encourage you to tell a friend, follow us on social media so that you can be a part of that announcement. And also, I'm gonna take a break in April. I'm really gonna slow things down. I'm actually preparing to defend, so prayers up on that. I'll share the date as we get a little bit closer. I might have an episode out before then, but I'm, I'm taking a break. I'm gonna fall back for a little bit. And also, I'd just like to give a shout out to Eastern Michigan University and their School of Social Work for inviting me to my first ever keynote opportunity. It is something that is nerve wracking just because I want to make sure that I deliver. But at the same time, I'm really excited just to share the messaging and share the story and the narrative around achieving racial equity and the work that we do and why it's so necessary. So shout out to Eastern for reaching out. Really excited for this opportunity. And as always, equity matters.